Hello and welcome to Cybertech Talks, a podcast where we bring cybersecurity experts together for a conversation. This episode's guests are Nigel Fair, Chair of Crest Australasia and member of Crest International Council, and Jathura Abidira, a Crest Australasia Advisory Board member, assessor, and member of the International Council. Together they discuss the Australian government's cybersecurity strategy and their thoughts on the discussion paper that was recently released. Even if you're not based in Australia, they cover many interesting points that are relevant globally. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. Um, today, Jathora and I are going to talk about the Australian government's cybersecurity strategy. A discussion paper has just recently been released covering the next seven years through to 2030. So I'm sitting here with Chad. Um, so tell me, what do you think about the discussion paper? Um, I think in a nutshell, it, it, uh, it covers majority of the uh, uh, elements within the cyber and then how, you know, we could prepare ourselves uh, as a nation. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. There's 17 questions in the discussion paper. There's a lot to cover. I think seven years for a future strategy is a long strategy with so much happens. Whether we see a work plan come out of that, and really the highlight that we're seeing from the strategy is how do we make Australia the most cyber-secure nation by 2030? I've always had issues with the word secure. I've been a fan of the word resilient. I don't know. What do you think? I prefer resilient. It's more that, you know, fragile, resilient, anti-fragile sort of a thing, right? So, uh, yeah, secure could be challenging and uh, resilient imply that, you know, you might have some issues, but then, uh, you know, you, you always back it up. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. To me, secure is a point in time. Yeah. You know, and if we look, and we're putting this, of course, with the the Crest member company uh, overview of this, you yeah. might get a Crest member company to do a pen test, for example, and they might give you a whole lot of controls and you'll implement those controls to mitigate the risks that were discovered. And I would say that's secure at that point of time, but 10 seconds later, possibly possibly not, and, and as time goes on. I, I'm with you. I like resilience because it includes incident response, and that's a important part of any organization's security yeah. posture is yes it's great to do a risk assessment yes it's great to do a control framework and a strategy but if something goes wrong and as we see in the news things go wrong all the time a resilient organization can bounce back they can yeah. bring in a competent team of people to do the dfir and that's where probably i'm not sure about saying we're a secure nation i get the politics maybe a resilient nation might be a better to cyber attacks. And that includes government, businesses and individuals. Yeah, I, I, I would like the uh, resilient uh, word, uh, resilient as a implying because, you know, secure point in time and then it's actually bounced back uh, to a non-good state or a better state. A better state, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. So... The strategy, of course, there's a lot that happens in government land. We've got other places of government. We've got the Critical Infrastructure Centre. We've also got the E-Security Commissioner. Mm. And Julian McGrant, who I think does an amazing job yeah. in, in that role, has been talking a lot in the last almost 12 months about security by design. Mm. Her filter, obviously, is social media on the whole and social media companies. But... Interesting, we're not seeing the terminology security by design in the discussion paper, which I think would be a good thing. Security by design can mean what you want, but I get the intent is mm. that if we're going to bring in 
particularly apps and software, into an organisation, they should be built securely. Correct. And, of course, with that comes competitive pressures and a whole lot of other things. I know there is some general wording about that I would have liked to have seen. Yeah, and you know, secure by design usually implying the topic of that shift left culture within <sighs> software development. I love the terminology cycle, shift right? left. And then, the, where's know, the bingo card? <laughs> yep, bingo card. And then it's also suggesting that you know you 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 will be removing the gap between your security development and operations. Uh, folks in the organization, right? And then build that harmonic sort of one team without these silos, right? So then mm-hmm. you integrate security into a CSD pipeline and then, you know, provide uh, a point in security champion to the developers, operations folks, and then, you know, you, you build that harmonic team, right? So that's, in my books, that's what you meant by shiftless. Like when you start... Uh, here and then you know in a grand scheme of things that's the uh, secure by design yeah right? I, I, I think DevSecOps yeah, secure code secure, secure code SecDevOps yeah 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 okay I like that. Yeah, yeah you're more te- you're more you're yeah. more techie than me. So I'm always <laughs> we, we de- can keep I'm always going to de- exactly. I will always defer defer to your brilliance. <laughs> so so we've got those three agencies, and of course, a lot is happening in critical infrastructure. A lot happening yeah. for for Crest member companies, of course, in the critical infrastructure yeah. regime. There's requirements on there's well there's a much broadening of the critical infrastructure sector, including things like cloud, yeah. etc. Universities are now part of it. A lot of things that weren't. So I think that's important. How the government and one of the questions in the strategy is how should the government play a, a lending slash dominant hand? And I think we believe one of the questions is also should there be NDAs around? Should the government can talk about and those sorts of things? Which I think is interesting. Because the ACSC, being part of Australian Signals Directorate, is more of an inward-looking organisation culturally. And I think the ACSC does a brilliant job and they're really growing in their role. But it's hard when the people that work there are more spooky than not rather than out there sharing. But I think through the JCSCs, I think it's good. It'll be interesting how they respond in the strategy about this, this, this t- call it the Team Australia approach as we, as we hear Minister O'Neill talk about. And what I like to talk about is the multi-stakeholder approach. Yeah. And I think that's where we need to head to. Obviously, you can't rely on government to do everything. So what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I'm in line with you on that as well. Even, you know, your comment on SESC, right? So SESC works with a lot of, uh, you know, industry bodies around mm-hmm. you know how we could you know jointly or cooperatively work the country better as well as the industries better right so then you know they always get that intelligence from third parties or then you know how the organizations work what's the industry works from the industry players as well right so I think definitely getting them to drive it makes sense but we just need to make sure you know everyone do it in a collaborative way so then you know it's not necessarily a inward looking reflection yeah which leads me on to the the other next bingo card is threat intelligence oh yeah and so you, i i would argue acsc through their parent asd and the broader five eyes etc obviously get the best threat intelligence there is out there yeah how do we work out what organisations need for that? You work in an incident response role predominantly. Where do you see 
that what they can give. Of course, they can't give everything out because a lot of it's classified. Yeah. And we don't. Very few people have got clearances, let alone the top tier yeah. ones. So how do they do they declassify it, or is it not a role for government? There's there's a number there of threat is. intelligence providers out there, there, there that will sell to corporates. There's definitely a role okay. for government, right? So in light of uh, you know regulatory driven testing, like Curie mm-hmm. sort of a testing, right? So this is beyond Socky, right? Uh, yep. Around the financial uh, sector. So in there we talk about intelligence driven pen testing or intelligence driven mm-hmm. red team. So government could provide that view of what's happening across Australia in a sector, say, for for query framework sake, let's say, financial uh, FSI sector, right? Mm-hmm. Government has a broader view on that, right? So you can always get the feeds or get the intelligence data from these uh, third-party institutions, yep. right? So no problem. But then ACSC can provide a broader view on this is what we see across the industry, right? So those those intelligence might be more enriched than what you get from other vendors, right? So those vendors may have a view on how the global industry works, yeah. right? But yeah. then and they say APT twenty from here is doing correct. X and Y exactly, and then SESC might give might be able to give you more. Better view of Australia specifically. So, right? do you think there'd be a role in the strategy? We'll stick with that core discussion. I think it's super yeah. important because our financial services is the, the lifeblood of critical infrastructure Absolutely. and the most mature sector yeah. by a country mile. Government would probably come second in maturity, and everyone else third would be so far off. It's not funny. Do you think for for a Corey engagement that they should actually give declassified? intelligence to the company whichever one it is that um, that's doing the engagement so they use their own threat intelligence sources and that might be various mechanisms either internally or through pen testing etc yeah. etc that if they said look here's a package straight up which will make your intelligence and your job richer and therefore the engagement stronger yeah. i think i think there's a room for SESC or the regulator to provide a baseline okay. intelligence. Well, the ACSE could provide the Council of Financial yeah. Regulators perhaps through that channel. Yeah, correct. Exactly, maybe. right. So the channel up to the discussion, right? But I think, you know, there's opportunity to provide, this is the base intelligence, right? So then you feed, you you bring your intelligence on top of that, yep. build your threat intelligence that way, and then build your scenario that way. So then, you know, the regulator will always have a say when it comes to tier one sort of institution around the scenario definition, right? So then they may not necessarily need to give you a baseline package, but since they're developing or since they're finalizing a scenario for you, Mm -hmm. then they can feed in that broader intelligence they see across the industry into that scenario, right? In that case, they're not giving intelligence as intelligence, but they're giving you intelligence as a scenario for you to execute, right? Okay, I like your thinking. Hmm. I actually like the idea that they give intelligence as information, that they say, we're seeing these things, we think that they can add to your engagement. Because that's when we get back to Team Australia, that's when we see the cycle. And Because the last thing we want to do, there's private providers of threat intelligence, we don't want to see them out of business because they play a super important role. But if the government could 
at an adjacency of intel or intelligence. I'm not going to declassify that and call it information. Yeah. I think it would be good. But I like you thinking about if they presented Corey-type scenarios that you as a Corey provider might go, yeah, that's really interesting, but really the back end yeah. is it's been created because they know stuff. Yeah. And right. they can't tell you why they yeah, know stuff. Exactly. And you don't need to know why, but you go... I really like that scenario. Yeah. Because if you think like yeah, from a from a like a, in a context of SEO and SEC, they see a lot of things beyond our imagination. Yeah. Right? So and the they, police likewise. Yeah, absolutely, right? So collectively they can bring that insight through the regulator to the organization, right? So end of the day then that will help build that organization's resilience better. Right. Yeah. So just following on from that, so defence is where the money is, 1.7 billion, 10 years for red spies. Yeah. They need to find the people. I'd like to think, okay, the university sector's got a big role to play, but of course, what thing we're not talking about in the university sector is there's lots saying we need more students to be put out, mm. but we're not talking about we need to create the academics to teach them. Yeah. That's a deficiency in my view because creating a top-tier professor that's done research and teaching that can do these high-falluting things. It's a 20-year pursuit. Yes. So we, we, we need to do that, and I think that's part of the thing that's missing. But I also think there's a role for the private sector and the big corporate um, and medium corporates to sort of grab some of these people and put them in so they can see it from the other side. Yeah. Cool. I, I think I get why you can't second people into defence because of clearances, yeah. but I think you could definitely second people out where they could sit side-by-side and see how you do an incident response hmm. so that they can um, improve their thinking and their the way they do stuff and train them up and that sort of stuff. I'd like to see that yeah. sort of thing. That To me, that's innovation in the strategy, just sort of saying we're going to work together. We're, I need to see a work plan, and I think that's a working together. And I think a lot of corporates that do IR, particularly IR, would love to have them side by side because... At some stage, they're going to be working together anyway. Yeah. If there's a big, another big corporate, yeah, like a and big telco or a big medical insurer, for example, it's, it gets done over. Yeah, correct. And I, I think you know, in that way, the organisation getting uh, more benefits uh, around identifying talent at an early stage as well, right? So, in in, yeah. in that case, I think both parties are winning, and eventually, uh, you know, you're building a better suited workforce. And, and I think, whilst I, I really like the secondment, particularly early in their career, I think we also, as we go through cyber maturity uplift in this country, another important cyber maturity uplift is if I'm the government and I second people to you in your role, the first thing they're going to say is, oh, they're going to be offered you know, twice the money um, and we're going to lose them. I think as we get more mature through this strategy, we need to not worry about that because the reality is even if you poach some people, you're probably going to pimp them back into government or government-related type working. So actually not, if we keep this Team Australia that the Minister talks about, we're actually not losing them to Team Australia. And I think that's a maturity thing. The US, I think, do it really well, and I say that through gritted teeth, is that once you leave government, you're not a pariah and you can come back into government. Same with university. To me, we need to be shuffling people around government, academia and the private sector your whole career. Take the money stuff out of it, take the clearances, that's how we get yeah, better at it. Yeah. the, the yeah. uplift. Yeah. Because if, if I was writing a strategy, I'd just have a mission statement that basically says, how do we make cyber harder for criminals? How do we get them, APT, whoever, advanced 
persistent threats, um, nation states, serious and organised criminals, or people just having a crack? How do we make them think, oh, the .au domain space, I'm staying away from that, I'm going to go somewhere else? That would be my mission statement, is going back to resilience at the beginning of our discussion. How, how, how do we make us not the low-hanging fruit? Yeah, so it's, it's about like outrunning the bull, right? It is, it is, right. so uh, absolutely. You can, you, can, you can apply that methodology or the analogy into uh, organised crime sector really easily, right? So majority of the ransomware attacks and, you know, probably hit-and-run sort of organised crime, they're motivated by money. That way you can easily, following that strategy, you can easily outrun the bull. However, there's another sector which are persistent, uh, you know, state-sponsored... State With different state motivations. Correct, exactly. They might want yeah. intellectual property yeah, or correct. a trade delegation is about to go overseas and they'd yeah. like to know the secrets. Correct. What we can control is that opportunity, right? When we're minimising that opportunity, you make the criminals to work harder to get there, right? And, and that's then, what we've got to do. Right. And then you know, increasing resilience, suggesting you have reasonably reduced dwell time, so then you mm-hmm. can detect it, and then adding more workload to the attacker, you actually buy more time to detection, right? Yeah, so you're sand in the gears. It. Exactly, right? So that way, you're not just mm-hmm. minimizing the uh, financially motivated criminals, but also you're reducing the opportunity of success of a um, you know, state-based actor. But then they'll always target you. Because they're persistent. Yeah, exactly, right? So because you know, their motive is different. So right? with that in mind, and I'm going to put you on the spot, one of the questions in the strategy, in the discussion paper, I should say, is should we pay ransoms? Oh, well, no. I think, you know, it, it's end of the day come down to a... Not a yes or no. So no, I think you're right. It's a business uh, decision. It's a business risk. But in the grand scheme of things, would you, you know, paying my, you know, suggesting you're supporting criminals and uh, well, criminal, well, you're encouraging criminals, right? It's a classic case. As one of the a couple of recent cases from the, uh, you know, recent history in Australian economic is that I think you know by not paying you demotivated other ransomware actors to target Australian organizations right yeah. so I don't have a you know silver bullet answer saying yes and, or and no. there is and there isn't yeah, anything yeah, online correct. exactly but not paying is you demotivating or you are you're not attracting those criminals to Australian economy because they mm. know that you know, they're not going to pay. If you have a law saying, do not pay, full stop, there's no any questions asked, right? Yeah. I think it's interesting. I, I holistically say no pay, take the, yeah. take the business model out of the criminals. Yeah. But with that, I say, not sure how you're going to police a law if people are paying with Bitcoin, Monero, mm. or whatever. There's some shysters out there. You've also got counterterrorism, CTF, AML issues that yeah. an organisation might be hitting, and they come with big penalties, big yeah. penalties, and, and serious global implications. And so I don't think that gets considered enough. Yeah. But of course, I think what is interesting is if we do that, criminals, like they always do, they'll pivot. Mm. So they're, they're adept, they have a business model that makes money at the moment, yeah. life's pretty good. If we can upset that business model, does that mean they will? get into an organisation, steal the data, and instead of asking for a ransom, just put it on sale. the dark web for sale yeah. at 20 cents a record if it's 10 million or whatever. Is that the new business model? I don't see that being as successful, but 
who knows? Yeah, well, like, you know, criminals. Because there'll always be a new business model. Yeah, correct. They know they'll pivot from one to another. Yep. But yep. They're think, not going to hang it up. Yeah, I think the best solution we could uh, utilize is that not encouraging, right? So, therefore, then you don't have a direct economic uh, benefit from the victim, right? So, you know, correct. what I believe is that prevention is better than cure, right? So you and, build a resilience. And it goes back to what we we're talking about with yeah. threat intelligence, yeah. red teaming, um, get ahead of the curve, yeah. do your risk assessment, be informed, control framework, measure it. Yeah, Abs- for me abs- to say, but absolutely. You, you'll always have opportunity to improvements, but mm-hmm. then you know, you, you're reducing that dwell time and you know, you're increasing your detection opportunities, so then you know, you're minimizing the attacker's chances. So how should the strategy in. inform... The, call it the private sector, the government sector. The, there's some big not-for-profits out there in Australia. So the yeah. not-for-profit sector, scaring people hasn't worked. Mm. So how do we articulate through a new strategy what people should go, you know what, all my customers, clients, stakeholders are online. We're as a business are online. We like delivering services that way. They like receiving services that way, invariably through a mobile device, a mobile smart device. Two sides of the one coin. How do we get organisations to sit up and take notice? We've been talking about this for a lot, a lot, a lot of years, and we're still seeing big, medium, small corporates, and you know, ninety-seven percent of our businesses are small business, less than nine and employees. The key part for them is they're usually part of a supply chain mm-hmm. of some description, a third-party arrangement. What what should we put in the strategy that sort of says, you know what, you've got to You've got to invest in this. You make a lot of money out of productivity from tech. With the good comes, unfortunately, the bad. You've got to invest thinking and dollars and action. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, from a strategy point of view, we need to figure out a way to assess, you know, small or large, medium, any organization's response capability mm-hmm. to a cyber incident. Right, so I think I have seen uh, in the UK they have done a pretty good model around this, right? So pretty much a simple questionnaire around whether you have qualified people to do ABC mm. things, right? Okay. So whether your IT and you could call that a maturity rating, would yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. right. So you you come up with that maturity rating, and then if you have, for example, say. So the patch is released today, right? So if you have a capability to you know, patch to, all to, the to have a test environment. Yeah, yeah, correct. All, all, all these patches within X days, yep. then uh, you eligible for you know certain. You eligible to operate in certain businesses, or okay. you sectors. know you you eligible for cyber insurance, right? I was just about to say the word yeah, cyber. Yeah, the yeah, next yeah, yeah. bingo, because because I think cyber insurance is still relatively mature because it's so expensive now. Yeah, they're still yeah, correct. they're still not spending the time getting to know a business, and that should be one of those factor I, I, points. I think so because if government yeah. could introduce a framework like that, right? So yeah. a universal framework where you know you you. You can you start on the essential yeah, aid for correct, start. Exactly, essential aid for response, right? In that mm-hmm. way, for any organization, you have a maturity rating, right? And then it's more of a license to operate sort of a thing, right? So because, yep. you know, if you have license to you know, operate the board in the Yara, yep. right? why and, not you and, have and a license follow to operate? Analogy, like the analogy is followed the analogy on. Not only is the, bi- the boat yep. registered to operate, but the yep. captain driving right. it, has a license. Uh, absolutely. 
and that brings down to chartered ship of individuals and and professionalism of the industry, the industry which I think is a, again a strategy maturity wise thing. You know, every, and everyone should be part of that, whether you're a government worker or uh, someone that's a provider of a service like you, or someone that works in an organisation. I think we we want to be a broad church, yeah, because we want it, obviously it's trying to say we want everyone to be the the, the cyber champion in an organisation. Yeah. From the boardroom to the basement. Absolutely. For my next bingo card. I I, I, I really like that uh, boardroom to the basement uh, bingo card. Actually, I picked that up like in uh, early 2000s. (laughs) So the thing is this, right? So in in terms of that boardroom to the basement sort of a model organization, like Crest can play a major role there, right? So... We have, Absolutely, they can. Yeah, so we have accreditations for service providers mm-hmm. as well as we have certifications for the individual. And then that certification is not a cookie cutter model, right? So we have practitioner level certificates, so certification registered, for entry level, and then we have registered level, and then we have certified level, right? So within certified level, you have certified tester for technical people, and then you know manager level for those who, you know, have years of experience doing the technical stuff but then you know have the ability to manage engagements end to end and then provide the clients as well as organization that vision not just a one-time job on the testing right so then you know we organization like crest can cater into that market so then organizations as in the client organization would benefit would benefit from getting mm, so. best you know, um, to finish it off, because we're running out of time, we've talked a bit about the strategy and some of the interactions. There's a lot to it. I'm going to guess and say it'll it'll be released by the minister late 2023. If you gave them another six months, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so, right? So I think end of the day, kind of collectively, you know, government showing their support. And, you know, SESC and other organizations being always, you know, supportive mm-hmm. uh, to the organizations as well as the peers, especially the peer groups, because, you know, we have intelligent sharing organizations, you know, they're not for profit and, you know, peers work with each other from a personal level rather than, you know, official level, right? But, you know, having this sort of a arrangements would encourage them to, you know, work as an organisational level as well, right? I think, you know, that's the way to go. I agree. And on that note, that's a great way to finish. It's been great talking to you for the podcast. All the best, Nigel. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode and a big thank you to Jathura and Nigel for joining us. You can find relevant links in the podcast show notes to learn more. We look forward to bringing you more episodes with cyber experts. Make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on Twitter and LinkedIn for further updates. This podcast is brought to you by Crest, an international not-for-profit membership body representing the global cybersecurity industry.